Well, good morning, Cole family. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning. Even though it's still online, we are hoping next week that we'll be able to meet, Lord willing, in uh, here in the church and be able to worship together those who feel comfortable coming. But in the meantime, it's good to be with you and worshiping together. We are living in a world that feels overwhelming, certainly to me and I think to many of us, between COVID-19 and how that's changed our lives to all the that's going on with the blatant injustice and racism that have recently been re-exposed in our society and which affects every one of us, even here in Boise. It really feels like our world's just gone topsy-turvy. And like many of you, I feel myself grieving. I'm grieving deeply over the pain that people are experiencing because of COVID. I'm grieving deeply over the pain and injustice that I'm seeing. And facing the reality of all this, I think, as Christians, can be a good thing. And we'll talk more about that next week. But I think it can be a good thing, especially if we humble ourselves face our own sin, and truly hear from God. But today, we begin a new series. We begin our summer series on the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 5 and 6. Just to set the stage, I want to begin with an illustration that helps us understand what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount. When pilots are being trained, they must deal with something called spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation, let me explain that. I know it's a big phrase, but spatial disorientation is when a pilot loses visual contact, loses visual contact with the horizon, as when they fly into a cloud, for example, and, and suddenly they don't have a sense of where the ground is, which way is up. There's a drift that begins to occur in the inner ear when that happens, so they can feel like they're flying straight when actually they're flying at an angle, flying in a curve, and in extreme situations can even be flying upside down and not know it. They can think they are still flying level. And often when they experience the spatial disorientation, they end up going into a a spiral and many crash. That spiral is called a graveyard spiral where they are spiraling towards the ground and they still think they are flying level. As one writer put it, he said this, once an aircraft enters conditions under which the pilot cannot see a distinct visual horizon, the drift in the inner ear continues uncorrected. If the pilot is not proficient in the use of gyroscopic flight instruments, these errors will build up to a point that control of the aircraft is lost, usually in a steep diving turn known as a graveyard spiral. During the entire time leading up to and well into the maneuver, the pilot remains unaware of the turning, believing the aircraft is maintaining straight flight. Many pilots have crashed when they've experienced the spatial disorientation. In fact, many of the famous crashes throughout the year, throughout the years, John Kennedy Jr.'s crash, for example, and more recently, 
Kobe Bryant's crash has been attributed to spatial disorientation. So how are pilots taught to deal with spatial disorientation? Well, they're trained to rely on their instruments, even when those instruments appear to be wrong according to what they in themselves are perceiving. So at that point, they have to trust not in themselves and in their perceptions, but rather they have to trust in their instrument panel. Well, to put this in context of our passage then, and actually in the whole scriptures, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God. Everything was right. God was in charge. And Adam and Eve were relying on him for everything. They were expressing their full humanity. They were everything God created them to be in proper relationship to God who was in charge. It was glorious. It was upright. And they had their eyes on the horizon, which is God himself. But then they rebelled. And when Adam and Eve rebelled, instead of letting God be in charge, they distrusted God and they put themselves in charge. At that point, mankind lost visual contact with the horizon, with God being in charge, and the world was actually turned upside down. Mankind was now in charge instead of God being in charge. And ever since that day, that's been the nature of the world in which we live in. It's upside down. We're not what we should be because man has put himself in charge. The world and its values have been flying upside down ever since, and it's been a terrible tragedy. But the sad part is, we think because of our own perceptions that we're still flying level. We think we're still flying right side up. So when mankind is in charge, our values and perceptions are confused and wrong. Sure, we're made in the image of God, and mankind can do amazing things, and this world is incredible, and man has accomplished a lot. But it always begins to veer, and we begin to go into a spiral, and it always ends up in a, va- in a graveyard spiral. And I think the things we're experiencing in our world today, the craziness in our world and the sense of feeling out of control is that we're finally waking up maybe a little bit to the fact that we have not been flying level. That mankind has been spiraling off and we've essentially been flying upside down because man has been trying to be in charge and that is not how we were created to live. So COVID-19, issues of injustice and racism permeate our world and we have few answers. Is there any hope? Well, actually not. There is no hope, not if you're looking for a man to somehow right the ship. Not if you're looking for a man to fix it because man is upside down and cannot perceive even where he is. So today... As we begin our study in the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will show us, essentially, you've been flying upside down, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. But today I'm bringing in a kingdom. I'm bringing in an alternative way to live that is the right side up 
way to live, where everything is as it should be. Dallas Willard, in describing his, in his study on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, humanity is routinely flying upside down. G.K. Chesterton, the great theologian from years ago, said this, on the first reading of the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover that it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that it's impossible. But the second time, you feel that nothing else is possible. That's what Jesus intended, is that we would study the Sermon on the Mountain and begin to realize that's what we're made for. That's humanity turned right side up rather than upside down. You see, the Sermon on the Mount, to go back to our original illustration about the pilot, the Sermon on the Mount is essentially our instrument panel. That even though this world seems to be right, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you realize this world is not right and that actually reading the Sermon on the Mount turns things right side up. It gives us the values of the right side up kingdom, the true kingdom of God. But as we begin this study this summer, let me warn you. The values we'll be looking at beginning today are the opposite of not only the world around us, but actually the opposite of how we as Christians in this country have lived much of the time because we've been so inundated with the upside-down values that the Sermon on the Mount will challenge us in ways that are so helpful. So prepare to be challenged and prepare to have your toes stepped on. I want to begin with prayer this morning as we dig into this passage together. Lord, thank you for your word how it can set everything right side up. Thank you for creating us. You know how we're meant to live. And as we read the Sermon on the Mount, it does seem impossible initially, but thank you with your life in us, we can actually live out these values, the kingdom values, the right side up values of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. So, Lord, use this to help us become the people you've created us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each of the Beatitudes begins with blessed are. Blessed are. The key to what's going on here is really this question of how can we be blessed? How can we live a life in God's favor? How can we live a life that we sense that we are right with ourselves, with others, and ultimately with God. That state of blessing is what Jesus wants to give us. We all long for that, no matter who we are. But before we actually dig into the first beatitude today, I want to run through just briefly the whole Sermon on the Mount, and I want to look at the upside-down values 
the values of the upside, upside down kingdom that Jesus challenges throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We won't be able to go through all those in depth, so I just want to highlight those this morning. The values of the upside down kingdom. In other words, how our world around us and even the religious world in which we function believe is the route to happiness or blessedness. And let me just say that we all grew up with these values. This is part of us in ways that we don't even understand. And I think the weakness of the church in America today is that we have embraced these upside-down wrong values to where they just seem right to us. But we've lost our view of the horizon And we are veering off course. And it's all based on man being in charge, even of our religious world, but certainly of the world around us, rather than God being in charge. Lewis Smedes puts it this way. Pride in the religious sense is refusal to let God be God. It's to grab God's status for oneself. Pride is turning down God's invitation to be a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator, independent, reliant on your own resources. Pride is the grand delusion, the fantasy of all fantasies, the cosmic put on. And that's the essence of the upside-down kingdom. It, It depends on us and too often even our faith depends on us. So what are these, these values of the upside-down kingdom, these wrong values that are so much a part of our world that Jesus specifically challenges in the Sermon on the Mount? The first one is, you'll be blessed if you are a reasonably good person. You'll be blessed if you are a reasonably good person. Now, in Jesus' time, as he's speaking to the people on the Sermon on the Mount, they had a clear picture of what goodness is and what blessedness is. It was represented by the Pharisees. The Pharisees sincerely did their best to live a good life. But as you read the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus really challenges that idea that blessedness comes from living a reasonably good life. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. That's reasonable. But I say to you, if you even get angry at someone, you should be sent to hell. Jesus says it's reasonable to say, and you've heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. I mean, that's reasonable. But the upside, but the right side up kingdom, he says, is not like that at all. In the right side up kingdom, we are to love our enemies. And on and on, he explains several aspects of that. And in our world today, I think many in our world around us, I've heard many, many times, when I've asked, why should God let you into heaven? People will say, well, because I'm a reasonably good person. But I see many of us as Christians kind of, you know, I'm pretty good, so I'm okay. That's, that's why God should bless me, because I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm a pretty good person. 
And what does Jesus say to that? How does he respond? Well, for example, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 20 says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This had to be shocking to his listeners. And then in verse 48, he says, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is clearly challenging this value of our world that uh, you're blessed if you're a reasonably good person. Jesus says no. The second value of our upside-down wrong world that he challenges in the Sermon on the Mount is you'll be blessed if you're a religious person. In their day, the real signs of religion are were tithing, prayer, fasting, and if you could do it in front of people so they could see how righteous you were, how religious you were, you know, then you're sure to be favored by God. That was the attitude of the day. But I find that same attitude today. It's the value of the upside-down wrong world in which we live, that there's this sense in which, well, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I'm in a Bible study, if I'm a religious person and people can see that, then I'll be favored by God. Jesus' response to that, well, he's pretty harsh, actually, with that kind of thinking. And he begins in chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is actually saying, don't be like the religious person of the day. Being religious is not how you get God's blessing. The third value of the upside-down wrong world that Jesus challenges is you'll be blessed if you are a responsible person. You know, there's this attitude, and it was true in Jesus' day, it's true today, very strong, and we call it sometimes the Puritan ethic, that if we just work hard, God will bless that. God helps those who help themselves. Must be in the Bible somewhere, right? (laughs) It's not. That's not a biblical idea. We have this idea that, of course, I need to take care of my own needs and my family and clothing and food and all that, and I need to work hard to do that. I need to be a responsible person. That's what God calls me to, and that's been driven into our heads in this upside-down culture. But listen to what Jesus says about that value. In chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And then over in verse 31, Don't worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Notice what Jesus says there is that we shouldn't care about stuff. We shouldn't be anxious about what we're going to wear. We shouldn't Make that a big deal. It's not about that. In fact, we should trust God and seek His kingdom first. 
He says that value gets us in trouble. Fourth value I see that he of the upside down kingdom that he challenges in the Sermon on the Mount is you'll be blessed if you're a skeptical person. Now, I look for a word there. Maybe that's not the best, but let me explain a little bit what I mean. In their day, those who were most blessed were the most discerning who could say, well, that person's not following God, that person's not, and they did their best to to make sure that they could criticize people and put them in categories. Our day... We live in a very skeptical world today. We're skeptical of everything. Don't trust anybody. Make sure you figure it out yourself. I will determine what's right and wrong. I won't trust anyone. And this has permeated the church to where I'm going to figure out what's right or wrong and no one else can tell me what is. Tara Burton, writing about younger adults today, said this, 71% say that Uh, People just look out for themselves. And that most people would try to take advantage of you if they got a chance. There's a strong distrust, she says, of business leaders, religious leaders, military, and the police. Isn't this true? I mean, this, this is just part of our world, right? Part of our society. But what she goes on to say is, is this makes us susceptible to what she calls the cacophony of the Internet, the noise of the Internet thinking that I can find the truth and decide for myself. And then she says this, we ourselves become the most reliable source of information and our gut, the only entity we can be sure is not lying to us. Now think about how that's permeated, not just young adults, but our whole society where we won't trust in anybody or anything. And blessed are the skeptical, our world says. We don't really trust in anyone and are critical of everybody. Here's how Jesus responds to that. Chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you too will be judged. By By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And then in verse 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus' response is essentially, don't judge. That's not what we're called to. We're called to love, to treat other people with love, not with skepticism and judgment. And then the last value that of our upside-down, messed-up world, our wrong view that Jesus challenges in the Sermon on the Mount that I see is that you'll be blessed if you are productive for God. If you are serving God, doing a lot for God, God, of course, will bless you. (laughs) It was true in their day, if you're a Pharisee, if you're living full time as a rabbi for God or whatever, then God will bless you. But we see it the same way, don't we? Even in our Christian world. Well, yeah, God favors us, but he especially favors If you're in full-time ministry, if you're a pastor, if you're a missionary, if you're really giving your life to serve God, of course you're more favored than everyone else. Listen to Jesus' quite harsh response to that in chapter 7, verse 22, where he says, 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Really? Those who are most productive for you, Jesus, who did wonderful things for you in your name, and you never knew. You see, Jesus is challenging each of these upside-down values that have permeated America and have permeated the church in America. The bottom line is Jesus came to set the world right side up. And here's the instruments for that, he says, beginning with the Beatitudes. See, the Sermon on the Mount takes all those upside-down, man-in-charge values where it depends on us. He exposes them and He gives us the values, the instruments by which we are to fly by, the things we were always intended to live by. The values of one who is a follower of the crucified and risen Christ. And the Beatitudes describe Jesus and every one of his true followers. Jesus taught these values to his disciples and then lived them out before their eyes. We will look briefly now just at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just want to walk through this verse quickly. Blessed. What does that mean? Well, in biblical times in most of history, blessed meant favored by God. God controls the world, and if you want to be have a good life, then you better have God's favor. Think of a farmer in those days who had a sense that God was in control of everything and he wants to be blessed. So when he plants his crops, he wants to figure out how do I get God's blessing? What do I need to do to get God's blessing, to get a good life, to get a good crop? How do I get shalom? And I think this desire to be blessed is something that's still with us. Now, in our modern age, we talk much more about being happy because we leave God out of the picture. So I personally within myself want to be blessed. In other words, I want to be happy. But we're all created with a sense of God. And deep down, what we are looking for ultimately is for God's favor. But because Man is in charge today. We're living in this upside-down world where we put man on top rather than God. We're looking for how do I, without God, have a happy life? But what we've discovered, and I think our world right now especially highlights this, is that in pursuing happiness, most people would have to admit they haven't found it. We have more people on antidepressants today. Obviously, they're fairly new, but we have so many on antidepressants. We have people thinking they should be happy, but because they're not, they're looking for some way to hurt, kill the pain. Look at the rate of suicide. Again, because people think they should be happy and they're not figuring out how to deal with that idea that they're supposed to be happy and they're not. It's because we're living in this upside-down world. But true blessing, Jesus says, right side up, 
If you want to be blessed, you need to be poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Again, if you're flying upside down with man in charge, then you're trying to control it yourself. But COVID-19 has been something that I think God is using to change our thinking and make us realize man in charge doesn't work. We can't make life work. We're, we're just not big enough. We need God in our lives. We cannot handle life. We can't be in control. So many things are out of our control during this COVID crisis. And our choice is to keep trying. Keep trying to make it work. We can fix it. Or humble ourselves, turn right side up and put God back in charge and begin to trust Him and seek Him and begin to rely on the God who died for us and loves us. That's why the the Beatitudes and this whole sermon to turn things right side up begins with being poor in spirit because the key value, the beginning value of the right side up kingdom is being poor in spirit. Think of what poor means. It's just the word for poor. It's It means being out of resources. I'm bankrupt. I, I don't have the resources it takes to live life well. Paul talks about this in terms of the new covenant in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate as ministers of the new covenant by the Spirit. Nothing from us. See, being poor in spirit is realizing I don't have what it takes to live life. I need you every second, God. Jesus talked about it here in many other places, places like John 15, where he says, Abide in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Poor in spirit means I realize that, that I need you every second. There's nothing I can do on my own. Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read verse 9 because he had to learn this message as well, this upside down or right side up actually value. Where in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians verse 9 he says, God has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses because that's when I'm forced to depend on the Lord, when I know I'm weak. And I have found in my life over and over again, I want to be strong. I want to be responsible. I want to live by the upside down values. That's part of my broken, fallen humanity. But I find that God constantly puts me in situations that I can't handle that my weakness is amplified where I have to desperately turn to Him. The last week has been that way. So many things I've had to deal with and felt inadequate, in fact, weak and helpless, and it's forced me to cling to Him. See, that is how we were made. And that is the key value of the right-side-up kingdom. Jesus modeled that for us by the way he lived his life on earth. In John 
chapter 5, he describes this in a lot of different places, actually. But in John chapter 5, it says, Jesus answered, verse 19, and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the, the Son also does in like manner. The Son does nothing of himself. And he modeled for us, that's how we're to live, in complete dependence on him. That is the right side up kingdom. He showed us how to live that way. And let me say just about the church as a whole. This explains us individually, but also I believe the church as a whole. We are at its best. The church is at its best. The church in the world. When as a group, we show ourselves to be poor in spirit. Not trying to be strong and controlling and have political power and all that. That is not the church at its best. The church at its best is when we are humble, when we are repenting, when we are admitting we've sinned as an American church against the poor, that we have sought our own good instead of that of the oppressed, and we have discriminated against others through racism or economic disparity or simple self-centeredness. The blessed church... The one God favors is a confessing, broken, poor in spirit church that desperately needs, knows it needs God every moment and that has no place for pride or judgment of anyone else. That's poor, poor in spirit. Then it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? Most of us have been taught that the kingdom's future, it's coming when we go be with Jesus. But it's clear from what Jesus is teaching here that he believes the kingdom is here now. When Jesus died, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, he was established as king. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and therefore he is king now. The kingdom is here, partial It will be fulfilled later, but it is here now. And he wants to reign in our lives and wants us to live as right side up people of the kingdom even now. And then it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs literally of them. I want to say a couple things about that. It it, it implies plurality for one we're a community it's about all of us it isn't just me it's all of us together living out the right side up values but secondly it's theirs it it belongs to them they represent it those who are poor in spirit are the ones who show what the kingdom is really meant to be like it's not the rich in spirit that show the kingdom of god those who seem to have it together It's not even the middle class in spirit. (laughs) Those who are working hard to try to get ahead in their Christian life. No, the ones who are in the kingdom of God, and hear this very carefully. It's not, yeah, the rich are in, the middle class are in, and the poor in spirit, by God's grace, boy, good thing they get in too. No, what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God consists only of the poor in spirit. No one else gets in. 
only those who are completely bankrupt in their own resources, who don't, who know that they can't handle life, who are utterly dependent on Jesus. The only citizens of the kingdom of heaven are those who are poor in spirit. Think about the poor, how they focus on the basic necessities of life to survive. The poor in spirit focus on depending on Jesus for everything. Perhaps the healthiest church America has ever seen. Perhaps the healthiest church America has ever seen is the poor black churches in our history, the slave churches even, who knew they had nothing, were poor in spirit, and wrote and sang songs to God of praise and thankfulness and hope. Those are the ones that are blessed, who are favored by God. Do we see ourselves as just as bankrupt? This world is upside down. We were created to depend on God, but man in charge inverted the world. And it's we've been flying upside down, but it's put us into this graveyard spiral that we cannot pull out of by ourselves. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has given us instruments the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, to keep our eyes on, to set ourselves right, to keep God in charge. And it begins with being poor in spirit. So I challenge you, I challenge myself to ask some hard questions. Am I really relying fully on Him? Am I seeing myself as completely bankrupt, as completely poor in spirit, needing Him for everything, every breath, Everything in my life is dependent fully, completely on Him. That is right-side-up living. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this passage that challenges the way we've tended to live our life. We've lived with these upside-down values of trying to be responsible and do our best and be religious. And But it all depends on us. We put ourselves in charge. Lord, we confess how wrong that is, how sinful we've been to depend on ourselves. Turn us right side up. Help us see how bankrupt we are and may we live fully and completely dependent on you. We pray in Jesus' name.